Man, I hate to lose things. Um, you, you, you know how you, when you lose something, it just bugs you? And, you know, you're having conversations with people and doing what you have to do. But in the back of your mind, you're like, where is that phone? Where did I leave that thing? Was it down in the basement? Is it in the closet? Did I leave it in the bathroom? How many are with me? You just, you hate losing things and then you can't get it out of your head. It just kind of torments you. It's, it's a, sort of an agitated state when you know you've lost something. And then, of course, when you find it, if you're anything like me, I mean, I feel like I've just, you know, won the lottery. I'm like high-fiving myself. If, you know, I mean, I feel so good when I have found what I lost. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You're, you're there. It feels so good. Now, I thought about this. When you find what it is that you lost, when I find what it is that I lost, I'm really no different than what I was before I lost it. And I wasn't so excited then, but it's just something about loss that bothers us. Now, losing things and searching for things, uh, we are all experts in that. According to an article in the New Yorker magazine, here, here's the way the article goes. It says, over a lifetime, we will lose some 200,000 items apiece. 200,000. I mean, I, I don't know. They say it. Plus money, relationships, elections, loved ones. It goes on. Data from one insurance company survey suggests that the average person misplaces up to nine objects a day, which means that by the time we turn 60, we will have lost up to 200,000 things. You'll spend roughly six solid months looking for missing objects here in the United States. That translates to collectively some 54 million hours spent searching a day. And there's the associated loss of money in the U.S. in 2011, $30 billion on misplaced cell phones alone. So, when it comes to losing, searching, and sometimes finding, and sometimes having to give up on what we were searching for, it's just gone, and we have to accept it. We are people that uh, can't avoid this experience. It is a part of our life. It is a part of the life of every human being that's ever lived in this world. It doesn't matter if we like it or we don't like it. Now, God understands this, and he speaks about it specifically uh, in his word. So let's go to that portion of scripture that we've been in for this entire series. It's uh, in the book of Ecclesiastes, page 741. Your Bible probably just flips right open to it now, but page 741. And we'll start like we always do in the very beginning. Here's Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived, under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, writing these words. For everything, there is an appointed time. And an appropriate time for every activity on earth. Time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot what was planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to throw away stones and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to search and a time to... Give something up as lost. And we'll just kind of stop there because that's our main subject today. A time to search and a time to give something up as lost. Now, we've said each week in this series that God has put these experiences in life, these times and seasons that require our activity to be developmental. And so we gave you this little formula at the very beginning of the series God wants us to be aware of what time it is, of what season it is. So there's the need for us to develop awareness. That's part of maturity. 
And then with that awareness, we're to take appropriate action. And if we do, we become wise in life. It also does something inside of us. This catalyzes dormant developmental capacities. As we go through these processes, as we you know, cooperate with God in recognizing the times and the seasons and then uh, giving the appropriate action, it does things inside of us that are beneficial. We are more likely to develop to become the people that God intended us to become. And this life, above all, is a developmental journey. Uh, we are meant to become a Christ-like version of ourselves. That is the absolute purpose of every human being's life that's ever been on the planet. We are here to become who God meant us to become and do what he meant us to do. And so these experiences, though, they catalyze things inside, and we often miss that. So let's look at this a little more closely, a time to search and a time to give up. What, what is it that God wants us to experience we go through these cycles we just read we might lose some 200,000 things and search for them a lot of things are inconsequential but some of the things you know and I know that we lose they're huge they're devastating uh, they affect us deeply and they may affect us throughout our life particularly when you put people into that equation it changes everything and yet nevertheless God tells us there's a time to search or pursue, I'm going to add that, and then there's a time to just give something up as loss. The idea being you grieve the loss, and then you go on with your life. So what does God want us to experience? Well, let, let's just look at this thing on the surface. Let's think about the search component of this. Uh, God evidently wants us to learn that there are times when I must focus all my energy, all my attention on pursuing, finding something, something that I've considered to be worthwhile, of value, and so I deny myself, so to speak, whatever else it is that I may want to do, I rearrange my priorities, I rearrange my schedule, and, and now I'm fixated, I'm focused, I'm highly energized to try to find this thing. I'm on a mission, so to speak. God wants us to experience that. But then there comes that time where maybe we've exhausted all avenues that are reasonable and rational, and we realize that it's just time to call this thing a loss. Now, it's easy if it's something rather inconsequential. It's extremely hard if it's something big. Perhaps it's a person or a relationship. And it ought to be big, and it ought to be difficult. But God wants us to experience both. Let, let's just accept that from the start. He wants us to experience the stress of these states because these are stressful states. When you are searching some, for something, when you've lost something, when you're pursuing something, it's kind of a stressful state. And then when you have to give something up as loss, it's also a very unpleasant emotional state. So let's lock this in. God wants us in this life to have these experiences. And they are uncomfortable, they are undesirable, they are stressful, they are irritating, they sometimes are extraordinarily hurtful depending upon what the loss is that we cannot, will not, ever recover. And God wants us to experience it. More than that, He wants us, it is part of His developmental plan for us to be highly and completely engaged when these cycles come up. In other words, when there is a loss of something, he actually wants us to be very focused, very energized, and give great pursuit to finding something that we've con considered to be a value. He wants us. He wants us to set aside everything else and get completely focused on it. And then when it comes time to count something as loss, he wants us to grieve it 
in a right way. You've heard the term good grief. There is such a thing as good grief. There's such a thing as grief that is not good. It's when we kind of get stuck or, or it starts to slant our, our view of life and people and things. But God wants us. Let's accept this to start with. God wants us to have these experiences. They are part of his plan to develop us. And we'll get into that a bit more as we go on. And our willingness to be fully engaged in both the pursuit when something's lost and the acceptance when something can't be regained, to grieve it fully, both are important. Let me just give you a couple supporting uh, verses here to start with. In Proverbs chapter 14, verse 23, this is a little bit of a stretch, but it's, it's a principle. In all hard work, hard work, there is profit. But merely talking about it only brings pro- poverty. Searching for something, God means it to be hard work. Not pleasant work, hard work. Counting something as gone forever, as lost, hard work. And God means it to be, and he wants us to be fully engaged. Just theorizing about it will not catalyze the things inside of us and bring the development that he intends these experiences to bring. And again, we're, we're going to get to that more specifically in just a bit. Here's just one more that's it's loosely supportive in James 1.22. It says, do not deceive yourselves just by listening to his word. Instead, do what? Put it into practice. Listen to me. You or I might know all the Bible, might have it memorized cover to cover, and it could be absolutely useless. God's truth, as valuable as it is, it is only useful to the degree that I am willing to do what it says. And so again, in this business of pursuing something that's lost and grieving something that can't be regained, I need to be fully engaged, actually doing it. And we're going to get lots of opportunities, according to New York Magazine. <laughs> 200,000 in a lifetime, maybe more. So, okay, so we've kind of laid that down. Now, now let, let's look at some twists and turns that life dishes out. Uh, recently in Pennsylvania, there were uh, over 100 runners that were hoping to qualify for the Boston Marathon up in Lehigh Valley uh, in Pennsylvania. And so many of these runners had lost almost every opportunity to make the Boston Marathon, and this was going to be their last shot. Now, they had carefully planned for this race. You know, it's a long race, and they wanted to make sure there'd be no interruptions. They had talked to a railroad that was in the area to make sure there wouldn't be any trains, you know, blocking at the appropriate times and so forth. Well, as the race went on, when they got to mile seven, sure enough, (laughs) one of those great big long trains blocked the runners. I mean, some of those things are fascinating. I, I've been, you know, at times fishing down, uh, you know, in Brunswick, and you get stuck, man, when that train is there, and you're wondering, when am I ever going to get back across the tracks? So here they are, these marathoners, some of which have worked for months, maybe a year, in trying to prep for this thing. This is their last shot to qualify for the Boston Marathon, and the train kills about five minutes of the race. Now, All their plans, you got to get this, all their plans, all their preparation, it didn't matter how prepared they were, it didn't matter how earnest earnest they were, it was shot because something just happened and they lost this opportunity that they were searching for. Now they gave consideration um, on a runner-for-runner basis, tried to calculate times and all, but a lot of them, it was their last shot and it just didn't happen because this. And life is an awful lot like that sometimes. It doesn't matter how well we prepare. It doesn't matter how well we pursue or how urge, urgently we search or pursue something. Things happen. And what it is that we were searching for, what it is that we were pursuing, 
it's just not going to be. And that's a tough, tough experience in life. Now, here's a guy that I found to be really interesting. Uh, we can put him on the screen. His name is Steve Feltham. And he holds the Guinness World Record for the longest continuous search at Loch Ness. This guy, Steve Feltham, 25 years ago, it's over 25 years now, he quit his job. He sold his house, cashed out, and he moved into a little van so he could live right down by the lake. And all he's done now for 25 years is watch for Nessie. He's searching. He's pursuing. Listen to what he explains about this, about what it's brought him. He said, the reason I sit here and I try to solve this mystery is because that is what makes my heart sing. He says in the film, they did a little film about him, my life gives me freedom, adventure, unpredictability, really? <laughs> it's a dream come true. What do you think about that? I mean, is that, is that a worthy way to invest your life? Is that a worthy goal in life? In other words, if you and I can find something, anything, looking for Nessie or maybe something lesser than that or more than that, but, but is that the key? If I just find something that I consider an adventure and fulfilling and exciting, is that good to invest my life in it? In other words, if it's making me happy, if it's fulfilling me, if it's exciting me, does that make it good? Or could he be misinvesting his life? I'm just curious. How many think he might be misinvesting his life? Can I see your hands? Yeah, it's a no-brainer, isn't it? Can we just say it without being insulting? The man is a fool. He may be very intelligent. He may have a very high intellect. He may be a very nice guy. I'm telling you, based on everything that God says about the way a human being is meant to invest their life, the man is a fool. Just because I'm happy searching for something, pursuing something, doesn't mean that it's wise. Doesn't mean that it's good. So sometimes maybe, maybe we get obsessed. I'm just curious, how many of you, you'll acknowledge that sometimes when you lose something, you can get obsessed with trying to find it. And you might tear things all apart in your house or, or you might just even do work. How many just admit you're a little bit obsessive when you lose something? Okay, a lot. You figure that's the ones that admit it. So there's probably more. <laughs> Sometimes we get obsessed with Loch Ness monsters. We, we get obsessed with things that give us a sense of being fully alive, maybe. But are we really? Are, are the pursuits really worth it? Or, or are we just being caught up in something, some obsessive pursuit of something? It adrenalizes us. It keeps us busy. It gives us a false sense of purpose. But it's just that. It's a false sense of purpose. And maybe the thing we're pursuing, maybe the dream we have, it's just not worthy of the effort. There's a guy named Ira Glass. He's a NPR producer guy. I've been on NPR a lot. I'm sure that's most of your favorite radio stations. I got hammered for making a crack on NPR once before, so feel free to hammer me on this too. But that's National Public Radio for you that don't know. But Ira Glass has a program called This American Experience on NPR. And he talks about 
an interesting little informal survey that he did. He said he had a room full of 100 people. And he asked them, he said, can you remember in your life when you were a young adult, can you remember when you kind of had this vision, this picture, this dream, call it whatever you want, this picture of what, what your life was supposed to be like? It was kind of the plan A. You know, you might have envisioned yourself with some sort of a career and maybe some sort of a family and on and on it might go and living in certain, certain circumstances. He says, can you remember that? And, of course, the audience all said, yes, they can remember that. So there's 100 people in the audience, 100 people. He then asked them, he said, how many of you still either have or are pursuing that plan, plan A. Out of 100 people, how many hands do you suppose went up? One hand went up. One hand went up, a person that was still locked on plan A. They were 23. Now, it was an informal survey, but I think it was getting at a truth. Sometimes we have something we're searching for. We have sort of a vision. It might be a vision of the kind of family we were going to have, the kind of marriage relationship we were going to have, the kind of career we were going to have, uh, the kind of circumstances in life, you know. It may be a lot of ethereal things, but, but this vision, this pursuit, it was something we were searching for. It's etched in our psyche, and because we don't have it, we've been searching for it, we've been pursuing it, but that man is never going to be the, the, the plan A that I wanted him to be, or that woman is never going to be the plan A that I wanted her to be, or those kids are never going to be the plan A, and that career, so forth. We're kind of confused sometimes. We're kind of discouraged sometimes. We may be bitter. We may feel cheated. We may be cynical because we feel like plan A that we searched for, that we wanted, this vision, it's never going to be, and yet we're obsessively, we're obsessively hanging on to it. And this verse, this passage, it says something significant. It says there is a time to search, and you should give full exhaustive effort to that search, particularly relationally. In fact, let me, let me just say something, because whenever you do a message like this, you've got to be very, very careful. If it is a relational issue, you and I must put forth maximum exhaustive effort to see that relationship be everything that God intended it to be, okay? But the passage does say there's a time to give up something is lost. And, and some of us, we have been pursuing insufficient visions for our lives. They're insufficient because they're not realistic. They're not God's vision. There's something that we maybe picked up along the way. Maybe it was from our family. Who knows where we got it from. But we have this vision in our life of what our marriage was supposed to be like or our kids were supposed to be like or our circumstances or our job or our career or whatever it is. And this thing haunts us and it torments us and it frustrates us and confuses us because it's not what we wanted it to be. We've searched. We've pursued. We've tried to shuffle people around and control people to get them to be what we want them to be, but the vision, the vision doesn't happen. And the best thing that some of us could do right now, this morning, today, is to let some of these insufficient visions for our life that we have obsessively, obsessively pursued and tried to force everybody else around us into 
then we would just let those die because they're no better than trying to spot Nessie at Loch Ness. They're useless visions. They're insufficient visions. They're not, they're not the vision that God gave. Let me just share something with you. Some of you that feel like you miss plan A and you're living out plan B, what if the truth was Plan B, your actual life, your real life with all of its challenges, all of its frustrations, all of its ups and downs, all of its discouragements, that's actually plan A, God's plan A. You haven't missed anything unless you miss being fully engaged and accepting what is instead of endlessly grieving what you never ever will have. What if plan A is the messy life that we actually have. <laughs> the difficult life that we actually have. The far less than ideal life we actually have. Well, why does God want us to experience this? Searching, giving ourselves full energized pursuit of something and then having to, to just give it up as lost and grieve. And sometimes, again, relationally, these can be Really heartbreaking, particularly I'm talking about the death of a loved one or a family member or friend or something like that. And sometimes we have to learn to grieve and to grieve well. What is this about? Why does he want us to go through this, this seemingly endless cycle of frustration? Well, if we look on the outside, in other words, if we fixate on, am I getting what I'm pursuing? Do I find what I'm searching for? Uh, can I rebound quickly enough from what I lost and can't recover? If we just fixate on those things, the outside, how am I doing? Am I usually finding what I'm searching for? Am I rebounding okay when I can't, when I have to give something up as lost? If we just fixate there, we're, we're, missing, we're missing most of where the activity is really meant to go. So let me share this little phrase with you. Look for the results when you're going through these experiences of searching and then having to give up on things, look for the results, not outwardly. Not, it's not about whether you find what you're searching for or whether you rebound from the loss. Look for the results inwardly, not circumstantially. Because these experiences that God absolutely wants us to go through, uncomfortable experiences, stressful experiences, unpleasant experiences, I don't like losing anything at any time, I don't like pursuing things, and I sure don't like giving things up as lost. Don't like it at all, and none of us typically do. And yet, in God's developmental plan, His loving, His perfect developmental plan for each and every one of us, He wants us to experience these things because they're meant to catalyze things inside of us that frankly can't usually be catalyzed in any other way. So we're going to probe this now just a, a little bit more. Why would God want us to have these experiences? Listen to this verse from Proverbs. We're asking the why question now. Why does He want us to have these? Proverbs 24.10. It says, if you faint in the day of trouble, your strength is what? Small. Although a righteous person may fall, how many times? Seven times. What does that righteous person do? He or she gets up again. Hold that verse for a minute. If you faint in the day of trouble, your strength is small. Although a righteous person may fall seven times, falling, not good. Not good experience. But getting up again. Why does God, well, well, let's ask a question. 
If you faint in the day of trouble, your strength is small. How do you get to the place where your strength is not small? How do you get to the place where instead of small strength, you have great strength so that in the day of trouble, the time when you're searching and pursuing and prioritizing everything else back behind what you're pursuing, giving earnest pursuit of something, and then worse, you can't acquire it again. You have to give it up as lost and you go through this frustrating, agonizing, heart-rending, heart-breaking grief. I mean, how do you get to the place where you're strong instead of small strength, big strength in the day of trouble? There's only one way. You got to go through lots of days of trouble. The only way you and I ever go from big strength instead of small strength in the day of trouble is going through lots of days of trouble and staying faithful to God in those days of trouble. And then something happens. We start developing a resilience. We start developing a, a strength of character so that when the next day of trouble comes, it does not shake us. It does not rattle us. We meet it eye to eye. We meet it with calm, collected trust in God. We do what is right in His sight. And instead of being those that fall apart, we're those that stand strong, and you only get there one way going through. God wants us to search. Search is stressful. It, it requires an earnest, complete effort. That's God's intention. We, we have to deny ourselves. We rearrange our schedules. We search. He wants us to experience that stress. And then sometimes we have to lose what we were searching for, and that's heartbreaking. And he wants us to experience that. Why? Because it develops inside of us a resilience and a tenderness, and a sensitivity, and a humility, and a compassion, and an empathy that frankly can't usually be developed in everyday life. You see, when I lose something, and I've really lost something that, that mattered a great deal to me, when it breaks my heart, and I stay close to God, I stay faithful to Him, I let him be my primary strength and member of my heart. I stay close to his people. I do what is right in his sight. When my heart is broken, that's a good condition to be in. I hate it. I don't like it. But I can tell you by experience, it is a good condition to be in. Because when a heart is broken, now God can really get access to the deepest parts of us. And a heartbroken person walks through life differently, with a different sight, a different way of communicating, a different way of connecting with people than a person that's never been heartbroken you got to experience loss. God wants you to experience a lot of loss. He wants you and I to experience catastrophic loss. Now for some of you, for some of you who have been bathed in the shallows of church teaching, this sounds like heresy to you. But I assure you, even a cursory reading of the New Testament alone would reiterate everything that I've said again and again and again. Listen to me. you you, you got, you got to let this one just stick in your heart and your mind for the rest of your life. Your God, who loves you, who knows you, who has watched every second of your life and who cherishes you more than anyone else, your God, he absolutely cares more about your character development, my character development, than he does your or my immediate momentary comfort or satisfaction. You need to accept that if you're ever going to grow and mature as a human being. 
Our God who loves us cares more about our core character development than he does our momentary comfort or satisfaction. Randy, you mean to tell me, you know, God will allow me to be unhappy. You mean to tell me he'll, he'll allow me to feel the pain of being unsatisfied and grieving and, and, and frustrated? And yes, yes, yes. And you know and I know we can handle these things in one or two ways. We can become bitter. We, be, we can become little whiny victims. We can become cynical. We can become angry at the world. We, be, we can become untrusting and we bar the gates of our hearts and we never open them to anyone or anything again. Or you pursue again when something's lost with all your might and you grieve it again and you go through that cycle of heartbreak and disappointment but you learn to, to process it with God and with his people. And instead of it making you bitter, it actually makes you better. Better. Why would God want us to have this experience? Because he doesn't want us to be small in strength in the day of difficulty. Because the day of difficulty is going to come in all of our lives. There's a study that I've shared with you guys before. But I'm going to share it again because it's such a powerful study. It just puts facts basis to this Back in 1975, psychologist Salvatore Matti, he began studying long-term impact of stress on Illinois' Bell's Telephone Company employees. Now, some employees crashed and burned under the pressure, developing health problems and depression. We've all known people that think that stress is the greatest enemy of life. It'll ruin your health. It'll destroy you. Some employees crashed and burned under the pressure, developing health problems and depression. Other employees thrived, finding a new sense of purpose and enhanced well-being under the very same stress and pressure. It goes on. A few things stood out about the people who thrived under stress. How many of you are under stress? Can I see your hands? How many, how many of you are under stress? And we're taught in our society today that stress is the big enemy. It's not. A few things stood out about people who thrived under stress. First... They thought about stress differently. They saw it as a normal aspect of life. And they didn't believe that it was possible or even desirable to have an entirely comfortable, safe life. Instead, they viewed stress as a what? Is that the way you view stress? <laughs> Do you? Or do you come home sometimes and curl up in a fetal position and say, I can't take anymore. That job is killing me. Or that man is killing me. Or that woman is killing me. I can't, I'm not going to live. I can't take anymore. Yeah, we all do it. But it's not true. It's not true. Doesn't help us. Doesn't help anybody around us. Can you put a mature hat on and say, I understand now. God actually wants me to go through various types of very uncomfortable experiences in life because there's no other way that certain dormant capacities in me can come alive and grow and develop in any other way. And he cares more about my character development because it matters in the long term than he does my momentary comfort or satisfaction. That's almost un-American, Randy. If God loves us, he wants us to be happy. We have embraced this shallow lie of instantism today. 
We think, we think that anything that alleviates my momentary discomfort, anything that makes life easier for me is automatically good. And we say it must be God's will. If it makes things easier, if it gives me what I want, it must be good so it's of God. And that's how we think today. And that's a lie. That's just not true. That's not supported anywhere in Scripture. If we make the definition of good, whatever makes life momentarily easier and more comfortable, you're in for a bumpy ride. That's not the way it works. So, Listen to these verses in the book of Romans. The Apostle Paul writing to followers of Christ living in the capital city of the Roman Empire in Rome. And what he says sounds almost crazy. He says, and that's not all. We also celebrate in seasons of what? Suffering. We celebrate in seasons of suffering. Why? Why? Because we know we know. Do you know? Because God says we, we should know. We know that when we, what is that word? I can't quite see it. What is it? Oh, evidently it's the will of God that we, can you say it one more time? Suffer. We know that when we suffer, we develop, what is the word? Endurance, resilience, strength in the time of trouble. Strength. He's more concerned about our character than he is our comfort. Which shapes our characters. When our characters are refined, we learn what it means to hope and we anticipate God's goodness. We celebrate in seasons of suffering. Why? Because we know that when we suffer, we develop endurance. Shapes our characters. Did you know that? So when we're in those pursuits of something that we lost and we're seeking it with all the energy we can and we're, we're prioritizing everything secondarily just to find it and, and then maybe we don't find it. Maybe we have to give up on it. Maybe we have to count it as lost and we grieve it and it feels lousy. It feels crummy. Maybe it was something really important. Maybe it was a business that you invested your whole life in a career and it's gone and it's never going to be recovered. Can you celebrate because you know that if you stay faithful to God, it's going to create some strength and endurance and resilience. It's going to be really powerful to shape your character. You see, God just doesn't shape our character by what he tells us in his word and us putting it into practice, as important as that is. He gives us endless opportunities in our daily circumstances. This is why when I hear people all the time saying, I hate my job, I hate my job, I hate my job, I'm going to quit my job, I'm going to quit my job, I'm going to quit my job. I think to myself, you need to stay, you need to stay, you need to stay. <laughs> in most cases. You know what happens when you run? Nine times out of ten, don't you? You get a new place, and it's wonderful in the beginning, and then it turns worse than the one you ran from. How many know that to be true? A lot of times. You just have to learn the lesson over again in a different circumstance. Because he's a good father. Good fathers care more about character than comfort. That's truth for mature followers of Christ. Listen to this one, the same Apostle Paul. Listen to these words. He writes these words. He had been a follower of Christ for 20 years. Now, he would live another 10 years after this, but this is what he's experienced in his first 20 years of following Christ. He says, we are experiencing, oh, what, what is that word? Pleasantness on every side. Everything's going sweet. Everything that scares me has been taken away. I've been protected from everything 
in society. I have a good father who protects me from everything and comforts me. We are experiencing trouble. This is God's main man. This is the guy that God used to write 13 books of the New Testament. We are experiencing trouble in just a couple areas. Nah. We're experiencing trouble everywhere, the guy is saying. This guy, he's throwing his hands up. We're experiencing trouble on every side, but are not crushed. We're perplexed, but not driven to despair. We're persecuted. We're not getting justice. We're getting injustice. We're not treated fairly. We're treated unfairly. We're persecuted, but not what? Not abandoned. We're knocked down, not destroyed. Always, this is going to get you, this is going to take a little thought, always carrying around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be made visible in our body. What the heck are are you saying, Paul? The death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus. He's saying we go through these experiences, the trouble, the perplexity, the persecution, but they don't kill us. And he says they if we stay close to God, they refine us, they strengthen us, they take these dormant capacities and bring them to life, and they make us more like Christ, and that becomes visible to other people. We're experiencing death to ourselves and maybe our desires and maybe some of our insufficient visions and dreams that needed to die anyway, things that needed to be let go of. And yet, we're becoming more like Christ because of the pressure. He says, man, I'm, I'm down, but I'm not out. Does that sound like an easy life? We sing that song. I like it. He's a good, good father, right? How many like this song? He's a good, good father. And I've had people tell me, well, if he's a good, good father and he has all power, he wouldn't let anything, he wouldn't let anything unpleasant come my way. I'm his child. Try that. Try that out. See how long that lasts. Cares more about our character than our comfort. That's real love. By the way, if you and I are going to be good parents, we will also care more about our children's character, Christ-like character development. Then we will their comfort or momentary satisfaction. Well, let me tell you about a guy named Dan McConchie in closing. Uh, Dan McConchie, Vice President of Government Affairs at the American, uh, at American United for, Americans United for Life. The uh, story goes like this. Dan, young, healthy guy, family guy, took his motorcycle out for a ride. Just curious, how many here are motorcycle riders? Can I see your hands? This will be an important message for you. <laughs> and I'm not saying to stop riding your motorcycle. But Dan took a motorcycle ride. Good day for a ride. Something he's truly enjoyed. Good guy, Christian guy, dedicated to Christ. And a car swerved beside him, didn't see him sufficiently, forcing him out of his lane, forcing him into oncoming traffic. Hit a car head on. But he didn't know it. He didn't know he hit it. He woke up two weeks later, two weeks later, in the hospital, so much damage, I couldn't even reiterate the entire list, but I'll just tell you this. He woke up two weeks later, paraplegic. Now, you know, he prayed for healing, uh, as any of us would and should. But eight years later, he's still a paraplegic. And the likelihood is that it's gone 
forever. That he has to let it go. He has to give up the thought of a mobile life that he once knew and enjoyed and still would desire. He probably has to look at it as gone forever. Now I want to let you get some insight into his soul. Before we go up to the screen though, don't you think if anybody might be tempted to be bitter and angry at God, angry at life, or feel sorry for themselves, feel like they are entitled to special treatment, it would be somebody like this. I mean, most of us might be a little tempted to be angry, to feel some self-pity, and, and that would be natural. Listen to his, his words. What I learned is that life isn't for our, what is the word? Comfort. Eternity's for our comfort. And God's going to more than compensate for any difficulty or pain or loss that we experience here. you got to either believe that or you don't. What I learned is that this life isn't for our comfort. Instead, the purpose of this life is that we become conformed to the image of Christ. Do you believe that? That your primary purpose in this life is to develop. It's a developmental journey and to become like Christ. It's you, the distinctive, precious, wonderful you that God wouldn't change for anything but a Christ-like version of you. He said, instead, the purpose of this life is that we become conformed to the image of Christ. And sometimes searching and then having to give things up as loss is part of the stressful, difficult process of bringing out these Christ-like characteristics that are inside of us, ready to develop forth. Unfortunately, that doesn't happen when everything is unicorns and rainbows. Let me put it together again. What I learned is that in this life, it isn't for our comfort. Instead, the purpose of this life is that we become conformed to the image of Christ. And unfortunately, that doesn't happen when everything is unicorns and rainbows. It instead happens when life is, I can't quite make that word out. What is it? Oh, can you say that again? Searching, stressful, tough, and then having to give something up is lost. Stressful, tough. Instead, it happens when life is tough, when we are forced to rely upon God through prayer just to make it through the day. He goes on. My prayers are different today than they were eight years ago. Back then, I looked at God like Santa Claus. I asked him to send, me, to send nice things my way. Now I have one prayer that I pray more than any other. Lord, May I be able to say at the end of today that I was faithful. Faithful if it's a time to search that you give it your absolute all. And if you've exhausted everything, and it's clearly, clearly time to grieve the loss, grieve it deeply and thoroughly with God, and then let Him take you on to the next part of the journey. And just... Make that your prayer, that I may be found faithful in the search and in the giving it up for lost, whatever it may be. So, let's ask ourselves in closing, which, which part of this equation might we need to be uh, willing to give a different focus toward? It may be that we give up on things way too soon. It may be that there's a number of things, particularly relational things, that God wants us to put forth uh, every effort. And until every effort is exhausted, we shouldn't even contemplate anything like 
that even sounds like giving up, but, but maybe there's things that we're too quick to give up. We, we don't search long enough or hard enough. And God's saying today, you need to search with all your heart and all your might. You need to get a full effort. Stressful as it is, that's going to be part of your overall character development. Maybe we need to say, yes, Lord, from now on, I'm going to get real serious about the search. And then there's some of us, we're stuck maybe. We've become obsessively stuck on some vision that's insufficient. We, we won't just give it up as loss. There's something we need to just give up as loss. And I'm not talking about something that's clearly God's will. But there may be something that we have become obsessive with, and it's paralyzing us. It's stunning our growth. It's poisoning us inside. It's keeping us from developing our Christ-like capacities. It's, it's frankly frustrating all attempts of God's word and his spirit to change us. And we need today to say, you know what, I'm letting it go. Maybe you had this, this phantom vision all your life of what you were supposed to be like, what your marriage was supposed to be like, what your spouse was supposed to be like, what your kids were supposed to be like, what your career was supposed to be like. Just let the phantom die today and embrace reality because that's God's plan A for you. It, it's what is, and that's where you'll find life in its fullness. So maybe, maybe that's what you need to do today. And then maybe all of us need to ask God for just a little bit of a prompting that the next time we go through some, un, this, some cycle of unpleasantness, you know, where this, we're going through the stress of searching or the grieving of losing something, that we, we, we ask him, remind me, remind me that, that if I stay faithful to you in this, that, that it's, going to, it's going to do good things in me. It's going to make me strong and resilient. It's going to make me tender and compassionate. Christ-like virtues are waiting to, to start to be catalyzed and developed if i stay faithful to you in this maybe that's the decision and prayer we need to go out of here with father we pray we pray now that this truth your truth that you'll help us to see it to understand it and to fully embrace it because we're certainly going to experience it before we would even like to think may you prepare our hearts and our lives we ask it in christ's name amen